I'm a brand podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre and has a number of spin-off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent, employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, learning and development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, Happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand. This is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Rob Brown here with Influencers in Accounting. This is the show, one of our five a week where we do a deep dive with an expert who has some relevancy to the world of accounting. I'm thrilled to have with you today. In the first of two interviews we're going to do, it's Michael Quigley. Good day to you, sir. Good afternoon, or is it morning? Uh, hi, Rob. How are you doing? We're all over the world, Michael. It could be morning and afternoon in some place. For the benefit of people that haven't come across you, Michael, just describe briefly the work you do with accountants. Sure. So my name is Michael Quigley. I have a business called Cataholas, and what I do with accountants, it usually starts with training courses, helping them in their continuous journey of, of learning. And then once we go through those learning experience, they often say to me, these are some of the problems we're having in terms of people or growth or modernization of the workplace. Can you help us with that? So where I try and add value is insights and foresights, which I know accountants do a lot of as well. So Michael, you're an outsider just like me. I'm a part qualified accountant from a high school maths teacher. I'm comfortable with the numbers, but you're a little bit like me coming in from the outside. So what's your perspective on what kind of shape you feel the accounting profession is in right now? I think it's a fantastic and fascinating industry because in my experience, in my opinion, it's a combination of all the kind of the tech side and the, the automation and the numbers side, but also very much the people side. And that's where I'm very interested in being obviously a former primary school teacher. You know, people want really good relationships with the clients. They want that trusted advisor role. You know, the idea of the accountant as the number cruncher is dead. You know, they want more value. They want more insight. They want more ways to be driven forward. And it's it's that lovely mixture of the technology and the people. Having said that, though, that's obviously very disruptive and it's it's a constant um, need to kind of, I don't like phrases like keep up, but to evolve and to grow with your clients and their needs. So to me, it's it's a fascinating industry where you're helping people to make more money and keep hold of more money, you know, and also form those relationships along the way. Um, the, the account and the clients I've got, the relationships we now have are very, very strong, very, very close which to me is, is lovely because it's to me it's all about people. I'm going to talk about motivation today. It's one of your specialist subjects. To what degree do you feel accountants need motivating? It's essential, 100% essential. What I found is motivation when you're younger, when you're less experienced in the workplace or as a child starts as external. It comes from your environment. You get stickers, you get certificates, you get qualifications. And that's great. But if you can't make the shift to become internally or intrinsically motivated, meaning it comes from within, then you're always going to need other people and other situations to motivate you. 
In my experience, that's not, you can't rely on that. You can't build a business on that. You can't build a career on that. So what I feel accountants need to keep doing is until they've got the intrinsic motivation and they're like, no, I don't need anything. I'm good. Just me on my own. I'm fine. Until they've reached that point, what I call the tipping point, they need to keep investing in themselves, whether it's CPD, training, becoming chartered, um, surrounding some networking, motivational quotes, books, all that stuff, keep taking it in from the external environment. And once it's internally driven, you'll know. People say, how do you know? I'll give an example. If you're a parent, right, you're intrinsically motivated. You don't need any external motivation, but until you reach that point, you'll need other people. So in my opinion, they need to try and make that shift from the external to the internal. But the good news is once you make that shift and you're internally strongly motivated, you never go back. What will happen to the accountants that don't adopt an intrinsic motivation model? And to give you pause to think about that, you and I are both qualified teachers, so we understand intrinsic motivation. We had children in our classes that would do their homework well because they wanted to do a good job not because they'd get an A star or a sticker or a thumbs up or a pat on the back or something else. So what will happen to the accountants that don't get a handle on this? That's a really good question. What I would say, I don't like to say phrases like get left behind, but once a landscape shifts or once standards improve or once something changes, we can feel that we we are left behind and that we'd like, oh, we've always done it this way. I'll give you an example. I used to say to people when I train them, don't try and pass a test. You know, If you're that standard, the test just is to prove you that standard. And that to me is a standard of excellence. If you set that, you're always going to be fine. If you don't, you find yourself irrelevant. You find yourself out of date. You find yourself asking questions. But what's all this? Why has it gone this way? Perfect example. Years ago, I was speaking to somebody and they said, well, why do we need to do marketing? We've got all our existing clients. We've got a bank of 30 clients. And, you know, and to me, that is retroactive. And it's just kind of reactive behavior. And we were at the, um, the International Accounting Conference in London last month, myself and you. And one of the things that really resonated with me was when the lady said, retroactive behavior, reactive behavior is exhausting. If we're not proactive in our motivation, proactive in our standards, proactive in how we change to, you know, the frameworks and the standards and the qualifications and the changes, if we're not proactive with that, we do become reactive. We can't be static. We can't be stasis. As you know, the curriculum in schools is always changing. So what people will find is they'll be disempowered and they'll be disappointed with themselves and they'll think I can do better. And they'll find themselves sat there one day going, how did that all go wrong? Maybe it was somebody else or was it me? And they'll never know the answer. And there are different kinds of motivation. We'll unpack those in just a minute. I'm just thinking that accountants, we can't say that they're not motivated because they've sweated blood and tears to pass exams. They're super smart people have really applied themselves. They've had a huge amount of discipline in passing degrees and very tough professional qualifications. So we know they are driven by something. Talk to us about the different kinds of motivation, Michael. So what I say on that is there's five types. So the first is it's fleeting motivation. It comes and it goes. You get, get a new client, you get a win. It's great. You can't build a business or career on that. The second is false motivation. You don't need to feel good in that moment, but you can still make progress towards your goals. And that's where we spend a lot of our time. The third is future motivation. Always got to have things to look forward to. And that's where a lot of us have fallen down the last few years because we don't allow ourselves to look forward to the things. The fourth is to decide whether you're motivated by fear. And you know, what if it goes wrong? Or fun or a bit of both. In my experience, a lot of accountants are motivated by fear. And you've got to get the numbers right. You've got to add the value. But that's good. If that's your approach, use it. Great. And then the final thing is you've got to have a framework. You've got to have a way that you use your tools in your daily life. It's no good just saying, do this and do that. Someone goes, where does that fit into my day? You know, I, I'm I am <laughs> billing by the five minutes. I get half an hour lunch break. I have to work in silence, right? When do I actually do that? Well, you might do it on your commute. You might do it just when first thing in the morning, last thing at night, you know. So the final thing is you've got to have a framework for how you can fit that into your day. And that's what works really well for accountants because obviously 
counts off to be process driven it's a process it's not a feeling it's a process and when we look at certain kinds of motivation we know that accountants are motivated perhaps extrinsically externally to keep up with their technical qualifications continued professional development staying current staying ahead of the regulations and changes in law and everything else but there is an element of accounting that requires the softer skills the leadership stuff change management project management selling leading people, managing people, those kind of things that they don't have to do necessarily. But going back to intrinsic motivation, they've got to want to do those to push on with the career, haven't they? Absolutely. I mean, if you talk about what differentiates you, you know, if you don't have the budget of, say, your competitors, what differentiates you? Chances are it's the relationships or it's the how you do things. You know, I've done a heck of a lot of networking over years and you can tell the people who are comfortable and confident. And it doesn't mean that you have to be like, hey, look at me, you know. It's more that you're able to be interested in other people, to understand other people. The soft skills of empathy and listening, for example, are essential. Because if you think you know what a client's problem is and you go off and do what you think is the right solution for them, and it's the wrong thing, and they come back to you and say, why have you done it this way? This was actually what I wanted. You're not actually helping them to fulfill what they want in the first place. What I always say to people is automation processes are fantastic. Every single one of your clients is a person. You know, I know legally they're an entity and you know things like that, but it's a person, isn't it, at the end of the day, that receives that tax return, that sees how you've done the dividend, that sees, you know, the way that you've done it. They are all people. Uh, and what I'd say for people, if they say, you know, why should I invest in my soft skills, things like that? Well, it's like saying, well, do you not have a family? Do you not have a partner? Do you not have children? Do you not have you know, friends? These are skills that work in both areas. Like you said about being a teacher, these are skills that work in life, you know, and our job is part of our life. And I think people definitely made shifts in understanding that. Accountants listening will say, okay, I know I need to get myself up to things. I know I need to raise some kind of enthusiasm. Talk to us a little bit about doing that intentionally and, and almost talking yourself into that, that willpower, if you like, because what I know about willpower is it's finite. You don't have unlimited amounts of willpower. So doing things you ultimately don't want to do, but perhaps you have to do, is difficult for people in any walk of life. What I say to that is you've asked a really good question, and it's kind of tied to what somebody always says to me. How do you motivate somebody to do something they don't want to do? So think about junior managers in accountancy, right? And they've got people underneath them. They're not senior. They've not had years of motivating people. You know, they've got a young person who's, not, you know, going through their exams and maybe they're having some problems. How do they motivate them? It's really simple. What I say is take five minutes to write down on a piece of paper or do it as you're listening now. The three things actually matter most to you in life. Personal, professional, doesn't matter. And you do that and people always say, well, um, family, everyone says family. Family, and then they might say success, they might say money, they might say legacy. It doesn't matter what it is. The point is you've got your three, right? Then what you do is you look at the task in hand and you say, right, how is what I'm going to do today going to help me in, in some small linked way to that? So for example, it might be there's a particular part of my job I don't like doing. It takes me a while. I'm not very effective at it yet but I am still here earning money for my family. So therefore it is meaningful, you know? So it's attaching a meaning to it. And the good thing about it is a lot of people are really good at doing these tasks when they're not really seeing the big picture. Once you add the big picture, that might give you the extra little 10% of motivation you need to go, all right, fair enough. Every time I do this task, I'm going to think of this. And then they feel more motivated by it. What goes wrong with motivation, Michael? We know that people are lousy at keeping promises. They're lousy at keeping New Year's resolutions. What are some of the common mistakes that people make with motivation? I say two things that are generic across the world. The first is, especially with people maybe, I don't know, in their 20s, early 30s, they expect themselves to be highly motivated all the time. They expect, they expect to, to feel it, don't they? Yeah, they expect to physically feel it. Like oh, It's an emotion. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's an emotion. And if I'm not feeling fantastic all the time, oh, I'm doing something wrong. So that's the first thing. It's like, relax. And that comes out a lot, Michael. Sorry to jump in. Uh, people say, I, I'm not feeling it. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to come to church anymore. I'm not feeling it. I'm yeah. not going to do this job anymore. I'm not feeling it. And it's a, it becomes all about the emotion, but there must be a lot more to it than that. Absolutely. So when I teach this as my, as my model, the subtitle is to move from an infrequent feeling to a repeatable process. That's what this model is, right? So it's don't think of motivation as a feeling. It's a repeatable process. Like I said, use the five ways. So the first is you expect yourself to feel great. Well, good luck with that. Right? I don't know anybody does. And you can't build a career in a business, like I say, I'm feeling good. Because what are you going to do when you don't just sit there, you know? And the second thing is, it's kind of like I said in the fourth type, it's that people try and motivate themselves like somebody else. So, for example, say you're motivated by fear and you actually need that kind of, oh, if I don't make my money, I don't pay my mortgage, you know, and that actually works for you. Great. But you try and have a really positive, proactive Tony Robbins style approach and be really into it. But that's not you. But you think you have to be like that. You don't. You really don't. So that's the second one. It's like do it in your way. If you're a quieter, more introverted person, do it your way. You know, do it the Bill Gates way. So that's the second thing. We try and do it like other people rather than take the time to figure out how can I do it best for me? That makes good sense. Over the years, I've taught many accountants how to network. And I say to them, there are many different personalities. We've all got different skills, different weapons, different drivers, motivators, motives. And trying to copy some senior partner that's been networking for 30 years and has a black book to die for that has just got out there, that might not be your style. So there are different ways of networking, different ways of building your connections up. You've got to choose something that fits with your style, your personality, your weapons. And I guess you would say the same. Absolutely. I mean, and there's, I, I, I class myself, by the way, as an introvert. You know, I, I love people. I can, I can be around people. But I said there's two things. First thing is if you're more introverted and don't particularly like networking, you, you know, what introversion actually means is you might love people, but you'd need to rest afterwards. So say you go to a networking event and it tires you out. That's not a sign you failed. It's not a sign you're doing anything wrong. It's hard to be in a room of people you're trying to build relationships with and you care about them, what they think of you. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I would say on that one is I really, I never, I can never remember where I learned this from, but it's brilliant. Anytime you're at like a work event or a networking event, there's two ways of walking into the room, right? Some people walk into the room, they go, hey, look at me, look at me. You know, so you might think, oh, that's, you might, and there's some people are like that. And I think they're amazing, right? But I'm not one of them. The majority of us go, hey, look at you. You know, you walk into a room straight away, you go, how are you doing? How's the mom? How's that broken leg? And for me, that's been a lot more useful because the person hears, ah, you're interested in me? Because I know what I think and I know what I know. I don't know what they know. And for me, that's been a lot more helpful that because it helps you feel less like you're on display doing some kind of performance, which nobody remembers, and more that you're genuinely trying to make a connection with somebody. So that might be helpful for them. And you hinted at this introvert-extrovert continuum. There's a phrase called situational extrovertism. You may have come across this, and I'm a situational extrovert. And uh, to recharge my batteries, I like to be on my own. Absolutely. Yeah. Playing chess, playing a bit of backgammon, watching a movie, reading a book. That's how I recharge. But I can turn it on in doing a speech in front of a crowd or walking into a, a room full of dark suits, which is intimidating. But for me, competence breeds confidence. If you are good at something and you built up the skills, you're more full of faith to walk into that situation and know that you can get something out of it. I love the fact you said competence leads to confidence, because I always say to people, confidence is competence plus consistency. If you know you can do something and you've done it many times, you're going to be confident. And so I'd say as an encouraging message, and listen to this, if you're not confident in something, it just means you're not good enough at it yet. And you've not done it many times yet. And I always say to people, confidence is more like, a, like you know, you've got a plant in your background. It's more like a plant that can grow. It's not a light switch you can turn on and off. Eventually, you can get to that point. But like you say, it might take 30 years. I think with this, the big thing that really excites me about where accountancy kind of meets people skills or people is compound interest, right? People love compound interest. They love getting money over time, et cetera, et cetera. Well, relationships can compound as well. I am living proof of that. You know, uh, Stephen Hamlet, a good friend of both of us, 
we had a we have we have now a friendship because it's been built over time. It started out as a piece of work and then it's just compounded over time. And and I just think that's beautiful. People don't talk about relationships in that way. I think it's changing. There's always going to be a transactional part of business, hundred percent. However, people like doing business with people they like, don't they? And then we trust them. Shout out to Stephen Hamlet, head of uh, Russell Bedford International. You, me, and Stephen had an interview at the International Accounting Forum, which is on our Success in Accounting Monday show. So check that one out. Definitely. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So talk to us a little bit more about this framework you have. You talked about the five kinds of motivation. You've got some examples, I'm sure, of how accountants have used this model to get from A to B. Yeah. So one of the best ways that they've used it is uh, revising for exams. Right. One of the hardest things I've found for people, especially younger accountants, is they're balancing passing exams with client work. Right. So they work, they literally either going to clients, work, you know, staying overnight, and they're still going to pass the exams at the same time. Switching those hats, going from study mode to kind of client mode, is very difficult. So they've used that as well as some other material I've taught them to pass exams, which is great. And they always tell me when they've passed and they've done really well, which is fantastic. Uh, they've also used it when they've gone for promotions, which is really cool. Um, I've had other, cl- other clients when they've used it to reach out and expand, you know, into uh, nationally or internationally. So really what I like about the model is, say it's kind of like a Google search. Every Google search you do every day is different. You've got a need, you go back to Google or, or wherever you go to, um, and you get what you need. The good thing about the model is when I teach it, I teach it on one page. So everybody's draw a diagram and everybody fills in their diagram differently, right? Because everyone's different. But every time you go back to that page, you can see something you can use with it, you know? So it's like if you had $1,000 every day, you might use it differently. And what people like is they can go back to it and go, oh, today I'm going to use number one. Today I'm going to use number four. Today I'm going to use a bit of this related to this. And I personally use it. You know, I, I, I use my own material because otherwise, why would I, right? If it doesn't work. So that's what I like about it is that people can come back to it after having learned it and get results, like I say, over time, rather than kind of a one-off, which to me is is not the kind of style I like to deliver. Sure. And as you say, accountants, they like frameworks, they like process, they like something they can apply. Martin Bissett, my co-host, and I have found over the our many years of consulting that accountants actually like things to be very prescriptive. Do this, say this, try this, adopt this, rather than think about this, consider this, they need it in very concrete terms. Have you found that? Yeah, I've, again, um, one of the great things I, I loved at the, the forum we went to was when somebody said, when you have a process, break it down to as many steps as possible, smaller steps that are, are, are brilliant. And I learned a really good thing about motivation in relation to specifics, the couch to 5K, right? This, this person explored, why was it so helpful? You know, everybody wants to run. So why did that work? And what, it, what this man did was he broke it down, I think it's 12 steps to get from zero to 5K in 12 very, very small steps, but they're called multiple, multiplying the milestones. So what I like is when you have to think about something and your client facing in that moment on the phone or email, it's very hard. You know, you're under pressure, aren't you? However, if you've practiced something beforehand, you can bring it out in public. You know, so I know we're both uh, martial artists, or I used to be, and we used to say, unless you've practiced it in private, you can't perform it in public. You know, it's the Stephen Covey stuff. Um, but it's true. Once you're under pressure in whatever format that takes, you'll revert to what you know. And if what you know is good, great. However, if what you know can be better, in my opinion, we can always be better, you'll feel more confident because you'll go, oh, I've got something for that. And I always say, but what if that doesn't work? Have you got a spare? Because to get to that stage where you can be kind of blank and fully present with your client and know their needs, that takes time. To have your style and your approach and feel confident, that takes time. It took me years. I'm sure it's the same for yourself. So to have those things that you can go to, that works, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do it. And then what I always say to people is be self-reflective. So for example, keep a journal. And if you use a technique and it worked in a particular context for whatever reason, write it down so that the chances are you can you can use that again, maybe in a slightly different way. And before you know it, you start, you, you're literally processing and manual your own development. 
which is absolutely essential because when people say, well, why are you using that technique? You say, because it worked last week with this client. It's absolutely brilliant. You know? Yeah, that's the concept of an engine. You put your key in your car, you turn it and the engine comes on. It works every time. It's dependable. I'm reminded of a story of a weight loss coach that worked with a client that was very overweight. And mentioning baby steps there, he got his client to go into the gym for five minutes and then come out again. So he couldn't do much in five minutes. He might do one exercise or he might just put on his sneakers and his kit and then he'd walk out again. But he got him used to showing up. And that was the first step to getting used to showing up on a regular basis to develop habits. It's it's the thing of the comfort zone. Many people think the comfort, you know, you hear it all the time, extend your comfort zone, step outside your comfort zone. Well, I don't know anybody who lives out of their comfort zone if they, you know, unless they had to. You know, no, nobody wants to live on the street. What I say to people is like you just said, you go out of your comfort zone and do something. And then you go back in and rest and recover and it grows. You know, it's like the same thing with your brain overnight. It rests and recovers from the day. So that's a common misconception. People think I need to be absolutely giving it 100% or giving it 0%. It's like, why don't you give it 80% over a consistent basis? Yeah. So, Michael, just to wrap this up, we'll put your contact details in the show notes. What kind of challenges might accountants or accounting firms or even networks be having that they would say, we need to get Michael Quigley in here? <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest ones is you'll, you have a lot of firms that have senior partners, like you said before, senior partners, senior managers, they've got great relationships, but they will be retiring in the next, say, five years. And they are highly concerned because they've got young managers and people that are great, but there is a gap in uh, young people. It takes, as you know, seven years to be chartered. You can't rush that process. So there's a there's a gap there in uh, leadership in senior and junior management. And also, as you, as you said, and we know the accountant profession is modernizing at a very rapid pace. And if companies have a very strong culture and very strong self-reflective learning style, they'll adapt and they'll fly with it. If they don't, and it's a bit more reactive and it's a bit more we've always done it that way, like we said before, chances are they could be sat there going, well, what happened to us? And we, you know, we don't want that to be them, do we? No, indeed. And uh, final thoughts, Michael, what would you say to the accountants listening that do want to be more motivated? They do want more zip in their step. They do want to be... Uh, a little bit more with an appetite for the fight, if you like. We know it's a candidate-driven world in that accounting firms are crying out for talent. So there's a possibility that some accountants might be complacent thinking, well, I can get a job anywhere and everybody needs me and I can just walk into one job and out of another. But this need to constantly keep working on their skills and stay relevant and competitive. What would you say to them? I say two things. Uh, first is raise your standards. I don't know anybody who suffered from lowering the standards. Um, if you think like that, you might be out of the job soon. <laughs> now, raise your standards. The second is uh, from 13th century Sufi poet called Rumi. He was a mystic. And he said, what you seek is seeking you. And I really like that because the that idea- sounds quite deep. <laughs> yeah, it is deep. It's good, isn't it? But the idea is that we often think of motivation with business. We've got to make it happen. We've got to create a success in a vacuum. No, your clients want you. Your clients want you to be brilliant. Your organization wants you to be brilliant. It's seeking you right now. It's looking for you to be your best. You've got to meet it halfway. You know, it's not going to come to you. You've not got to go to it. You've got to meet in halfway. So what you seek, what you want to be really good at, it's seeking you as well. You just got to find it. Michael Quigley, that's been excellent. Thanks for your motivating and inspiring insights today. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class.
Thank you for listening to this new Talent in Accounting podcast. This is a relatively new show, but already has over a thousand listeners. So we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections. If you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent, reach out to me on LinkedIn with a message and we'll follow them up. And as we build this show up, we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important. Loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show. Again, drop me a message on LinkedIn to tee up that conversation. And for great podcast content elsewhere, make sure you subscribe to our main show, Accounting Influencers, goes out every Monday. And join the 40,000 listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders, experts, and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Finally, why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.